Welcome to Turning Point. Living as a Christian in a fallen world has never been easy. But lately, do you feel that mankind is becoming more and more sinful? You're not alone. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah considers this change for the worse and how it might be fulfilling a prophecy about the last days. To introduce today's message, a biographical prophecy, End Times People, here's David. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are in the midst of the series that is from the brand new book, Where Do We Go From Here? And I need to tell you, this book has had the fastest launch of any project we've done in all the years we've been doing it. Obviously, there's a tremendous desire to know the answers to some of the questions that are floating around uh, in our culture today. We've been dealing with them during the month of October. Today, we're going to talk about another question. This one I have never heard in a prophetic series, nor have I ever heard anybody preach on it prophetically. I'm sure I just haven't been in the right place at the right time. But uh, this is an interesting thing because I remember saying something to my wife about the fact that uh, especially during and right after COVID, there seemed to be a, a difference in the way people responded. People in places where you would go to um, visit a merchant, you're the customer, they're the merchant. Uh, I actually told her one day when we were on a trip and we're treated very badly at a restaurant, I'm going to get a T-shirt, and on the front of the T-shirt, I'm going to print the words, I am the customer. I said that in front of our congregation, and a week later, somebody sent me a T-shirt. It said, I am a customer on it, and at the top it said, God loves you, and I'm trying. So, you know, that kind of is where all of this goes. Are people different now than they used to be? Well, the Bible says that in the end times, people are going to be a certain way. And if you examine that prophecy, you will begin to notice some interesting things in our culture. That's what we're going to do for the next two days as we talk about end times people from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you have gotten a copy of the new book, Where Do We Go From Here? If not, you can get it from Turning Point for a gift of any size. And we'd love for you to have your copy of this book. It's our way of saying thank you to you for your investment in this ministry. So when you send your gift today to Turning Point, just ask for your copy of the book, Where Do We Go From Here? And all that you've been hearing on the radio and are yet to hear in this series, you will find written in this book, and it will be an encouragement to you and help you answer some of the questions that come your way. It's time to get started with our study. So Second Timothy chapter 3, a biographical prophecy. Let's talk about end times, people. Sean... Hopwood grew up in a Christian home in rural Nebraska, and he had parents who had started a local church. He was the oldest of five children, and he was bright and excelling on standardized tests. He also played basketball in high school and won a scholarship to Nebraska's Midland University. But in his teens, Hopwood grew disillusioned with his basketball skills. He stopped going to class, and he dropped out of school. Then he joined the United States Navy and ended up in the Persian Gulf guarding warships with shoulder-mounted Stinger missiles. But Hopwood developed acute pancreatitis, almost died in a Bahrain hospital, and he left the Navy with an honorable discharge. That's when lostness overtook this young man. His alcohol and drug use grew into raging addictions, and he became depressed. 
One day while drinking with a friend, they decided to rob a bank together. Why not? They could use the money. They ended up robbing five banks while armed. Afterward, Hopwood squandered the money on parties. And eventually his life came crashing down in the lobby of a Doubletree Hotel in Omaha, Nebraska, when FBI agents tackled and arrested him. A year later, he stood terrified before a federal judge who sentenced him to more than 12 years in prison. And shortly thereafter, he was on a prison plane, handcuffed, shackled, heading to a federal penitentiary. He was only 23 years old, and his life was growing worse and worse by the day. Now, if you stay with me, I'll tell you what happened to him at the end of my message. But his story raises questions for all of us. Why do people go the wrong way? Or in a broader sense, why do good people do bad things? For thousands of years, people have been debating those questions. Sociologists and lay people expend huge amounts of air and ink trying to determine if human beings are basically good or fundamentally evil. According to Scripture, sin is the fundamental problem of every person. Romans 3.10 says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. That's from the New Living Translation. Our problem, then, isn't just that we live in a sinful world, which we do, but that we live in a world full of sinful people because our sin affects everything in our lives. The Bible makes it clear that we are all corrupted by sin, every one of us. That corruption entered our bloodstream through Adam and Eve, who rebelled against God in his garden. And the blood disease of sin has descended through the generations, and it affects all of us today. The Bible says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. Because we have been stained by sin in this way, every one of us, the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one, We cannot produce anything good on our own. Collectively, individually, without me you can do nothing, Jesus said. So the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God must unleash their power in our lives if we're to be godly people. God can come into a prison cell. He can take the life of a person who's going the wrong way and totally change him. But only God can do that. There's no other program that you can go to. God is the only one who can offset the impact of original sin, sin that started in the garden. So what that means is you and I live in this war zone we call planet Earth. We're pushed and pulled between goodness and evil, between love and hate, between creation and destruction. You and I are Christ followers in a fallen world. That has been true for God's people throughout all the centuries. But can you feel it? Can you sense it? Something is changing. The bad is getting worse. Godlessness is overtaking every institution, every platform, every square inch of our culture. Because something in us is broken. 
We live in a world of sinful people. Better said, we live in a world of broken people. And the brokenness is becoming everywhere more evident to us as time goes by. What does this mean? Well, I want to show you a prediction about the last days that will put all of this into prophetic context. I want to quote from a letter written by another prisoner, this one on death row. And he wasn't there for robbing banks. He was there for preaching the gospel. (laughs) The apostle Paul wrote his final letter to Timothy from a Roman cell. Near the end of his letter, he drew a surprisingly detailed picture of how people will behave just prior to the Lord's return and the beginning of the tribulation period. So I'm going to read that letter and see if you don't resonate with what he said. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then if you jump down in this passage to the 13th verse, here's what it says. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we're not just imagining this. What's happening right now isn't just something that, oh, I, I, I haven't known many evil people before, so maybe I'm just medium mole right now. <laughs> no, the Bible says that there will be a trajectory toward the coming of Christ when sinful people will be more sinful, evil people will be more evil, and difficulty in relationships and all the rest will be more profound. Worse and worse, the scripture says. With those three short words, Paul predicted people will descend into a rampant and accelerating godlessness as we approach the tribulation. Please note the apostles' focus is not on bad times, but on bad people. As John Calvin wrote many, many years ago, the hardness or danger of this time is, in Paul's view, to be not war, not famine or diseases, nor any of the other calamities or ills that befall the body, but the wicked and depraved ways of man. You know, it's an interesting thing. Nobody knows how good a person can be, and nobody knows how bad a person can be. Paul gave us 19 specific character descriptions of what people will be like. In other words, here in 2 Timothy 3, the Lord gives us 19 expressions to depict the nature of godlessness in the last days. The things we should expect and not be surprised by. I can't bore into all the 19 words, and I'm not going to do a 19-word word study. But I can show you a pattern in Paul's words that move from selfish people to splintered families to shattered societies. First of all, selfish people. Right up front, The Lord tells us that the last days will be populated by people who are lovers of themselves. Narcissistic people. People who see themselves in the mirror and applaud. According to Paul, the days before the tribulation will be perilous because people will love only themselves. 
They will, according to the scripture, be boasters and proud and blasphemers. These people love to talk about themselves and to build themselves up. Such people want everyone else to love them as much as they love themselves. They write their own press reports. They pad their own resumes. When you finally meet the person in question, you hardly recognize them. These are proud or haughty people, which means they're disdainful toward other people. Looking down on others comes as naturally to them as it does to a pigeon on top of a statue. Perhaps nothing represents this attitude better than social media. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram allow us to constantly crow about our own success while simultaneously slashing away at the achievements of other people. Often through anonymous comments and online bullying, social media is a stronghold for selfish people. Unfortunately, selfish people rarely keep to themselves. You watch what's going on right now in our culture and how we are treating one another. Selfish people. Well, selfish people end up being a part of splintered families. Paul goes on in Timothy and talks about how the increasing selfishness of the last days will manifest itself in selfish people. And those selfish people will unavoidably result in damaged families. People will focus less on their loved ones. Their time, energy, and passion will be tied up in themselves. And the result was, as Paul said, in the days prior to the tribulation, tribulation will be strewn with broken homes. And he uses five descriptions. And I'm not going to talk about all of them for very much, but I want to show you how interesting it is in the text of the Scripture itself. These five descriptions highlight the damage that broken people perpetuate on their own families in the last days. It says they are disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, and unforgiving. Those are the five things that are in the text. And I want you to know that when ancient Greek writers wanted to say something negative— they took a positive word and put a letter in front of it called the alpha privative. The alpha negated the positive word. You see the principle in English when we say something is distasteful. We take the word tasteful and we put a prefix in front of it, and that prefix negates the word. All five of Paul's terms about the family included in the paragraph are alpha privatives. All five describe a positive attitude that has vanished from most families during the last days. Children will be disobedient, willfully. They will do what they want to do, casting off oversight and authority. They will ignore the instruction of Scripture that says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. They will be ungrateful. Gone will be a thankful spirit between children and their parents. And that lack of gratitude will extend to other relationships. The third word is unholy. In this context, that implies lack of respect. There will be no respect within the structure of the framework of the family. The picture is of someone who throws off the oversight at all levels of authority and harbors a growing sense of rebellion and independence. If you want to know what that's like, go talk to the first public school teacher you meet and ask them if they know what we're talking about. Next, we come to the word unloving. Normal human relationships will be destroyed and broken and affected and wither away. The word here is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as heartless. Homes will become hard places 
ruined by harsh hearts, and it'll spill over into the whole society. And the final word is unforgiving, which could also mean truth breaker. This refers to people whose rebellion becomes stubborn and hard-hearted. The root of bitterness within them grows into an emotional forest of poisonous trees bearing toxic fruit. And the lack of capacity to forgive others means they live as though they themselves could never be forgiven for all the harm they've done. By now you may be wondering, is this going to keep getting worse and worse? Is this going to be a whole negative sermon? No. Let's take a breath of fresh air. Let's take a moment and turn this around. If the ungodly world is characterized by these negatives, how should God's people live in the midst of it all? It's very simple. Our grammar has to change. We should leave off the alpha privative. In Christ, it's not appropriate to negate a virtue. Our homes should be filled with obedience between children and parents. Families should be filled with gratitude and defined by respect. They should exude a natural love and affection, and we should be able to trust each other. We have to work hard to avoid the alpha privative lifestyle. You probably never heard that word before, but here's a new term. Don't be an alpha privative family. Don't be a family that negates all the virtues that you've been given by Almighty God. We must be doggedly committed to biblical marriages and kingdom families. Whatever has happened to you in the past, start where you are today. And with God's help, make your home a place that's indwelled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it a Christian home. So are you getting this picture? When you have selfish people, they end up creating splintered families. And splintered families create shattered societies. Now, I'm going to do something right now that I've fought with myself all week as to whether I should do this or not. So I'm not really sure whether I should do it, but I'm going to do it. So (laughs) one of my favorite preachers is Tony Evans. I love Tony Evans. Believe it or not, when I graduated from seminary, I went back and I taught some postgraduate courses, and Tony Evans was in my class. My great claim to fame was I was Tony Evans' teacher for one semester. And so everything good about him, he learned from somebody else. If he's messing up, it's my fault. You know that, don't you? (laughs) Tony and his family have been friends of ours for so many years, and I love to hear this man preach because what an orator he is. When he goes off on one of his orations, he just spellbinds you. And I heard one in one of his messages recently that totally illustrates what I'm talking about, and I can't be Tony Evans, so don't get your expectations up. But I'm going to tell you what he said. If you're a messed up man and you have a family, you're going to help make a messed up family. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family and your messed up family goes to church, then your messed up family is going to make its contribution to a messed up church. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood, and your neighborhood's part of a city, well, you messed up neighborhood's going to make its contribution to a messed up city. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county, and your county is part of the state, well, your messed up county is going to make its contribution to a messed up state. If you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county, contributed to a messed up state, and your state's part of the country, well, guess what? Your messed up state's going to make its contribution to your messed up nation. 
And if you're a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city, that's part of a messed up county, that's contributing to a messed up state. Your messed up country is going to make its contribution to a messed up world. So, do you get that? I wish I could do it like him, but I can't. But I love the way he does it and love most of all his point. It starts with individuals, doesn't it? We look around and we say, oh, this, my church is a mess. Well, you probably had something to do with that. Right? If you're looking for a perfect church, if you didn't find it, don't go there because you'll mess it up. <laughs> and so, you know, we're always looking for some corporate answer to the problems, but the problems are ours. Our families are what we create them to be. Our counties are what we allow them to be. Our cities are. It's all about us. So unless we're willing to take insight on ourselves, we don't have much of a chance to get better, do we? So we have... Selfish people, we have families that reflect on the selfishness of the people in them, and then those families go into churches and cultures and societies, and the society becomes what the family is. So what do we do with that? I mean, in this message series, I've been trying to tell you, here's where we are, here's what that means, and where do we go from here? So here's the end of the matter. How do Christians live in such a place where selfishness reigns and immorality increases? How can we be different kind of end times people in a broken world? Let's take a page from Benjamin Franklin. In his autobiography, Franklin described the darkness that filled the streets of Philadelphia during his day. It was pitch black at night and people were sleeping and on the streets and they were stepping into mud puddles and stumbling over rough stones and even worse crime was growing wasn't safe to be out after sunset so franklin waged an intense campaign to persuade everyone to light the area around their own house but he got nowhere finally he just did it himself but only in front of his own house he planted a pole in front of his porch with a kerosene light on top of the pole That night in the city of Philadelphia, there was one house bathed in warm glow. The lamp cast light on the street, giving passerbys a feeling of well-being and safety. But the next night, another house had a lamp, and then another, and pretty soon almost the whole city was lighting the walkways in front of their houses at night. Franklin learned something. He learned that our example is often greater than our words and our admonitions. And that's what we need to learn. With that in mind, I want to lift you out of 2 Timothy and take you to Ephesians 5. And this is the passage that says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Amen. We don't have to stay the way we were. We don't have to stay the way we are. We can be God's people because the power of Jesus Christ is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and it can lift us up from any place or anything. Friends, we are um, more than halfway through this series, and I want you to know there's a study guide that goes with it, also a set of uh, DVDs and a set of CDs you can get for the series. 
I hope you'll take advantage of our teaching this material now and order these resources. You do that by going to davidjeremiah.org, and there you will see all the information you need to uh, get this material sent to your home. We're also at a time of uh, wonderful opportunity to meet with many of our our listeners. Hope you're one of them. October the 26th, we're going to be in Houston, Texas at the Berry Center. October 28th in Fort Worth, Texas at Dickey's Arena. You can get tickets for either of these events by going to our website. And there you'll be able to order all the tickets you need. You'll be ready to come and be with us. I hope you will do that. These are our last two events of the fall season. And uh, I know they're going to be a time of great enrichment and encouragement and blessing. We're looking forward to seeing you in Houston and in Fort Worth. And most of all, tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Where Do We Go From Here? Please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Where Do We Go From Here? And learn how today's issues are linked to biblical prophecy. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with helpful notes and articles from decades of study by Dr. Jeremiah. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Where Do We Go From Here? on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's new book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. Our fast-paced lifestyles can cause us to lose touch with a powerful spiritual discipline, the discipline of meditation on God and His Word. The great English statesman Edmund Burke said, To read without reflecting is like eating without digesting. Biblical meditation is nothing more than dwelling upon God and His words and works. Of course, we can think about God at any time, 
but reflection or meditation is different in that we set aside extended quiet time to dwell upon God in His presence. The psalmist David wrote about using the quiet of the evening hours as a time to meditate upon God. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to meditate upon God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.